Welcome to Top Real Estate Secrets. I'm your host, Liz Boyce. I'm on a mission to show homeowners how to successfully sell their home on their own. I'm gonna give you the knowledge, the tools, and resources to save your family thousands of dollars. There's a new wave of tech real estate coming and it's gonna change everything. Now, if you get any value from my podcast, please like, share, and leave a comment. I wanna help as many people as I can, but I can't do that without your help. Thank you for your time and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode. Today we have David. David, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you work. Sure. Uh, my name is David Lynn with Fifth Third Bank and Fifth Third Mortgage. Um, I've been in the lending business for uh, roughly 20 years. Um, 2002 was the first year I got into the business. So rode the wave through the early 2000s till the crash of 2008. Um, got out of the business for a little while just because there was nothing really going on. And um, Got back into the business in 2014 and have been um, in the banking world um, ever since. Nice. Did you work for a broker before? I've worked for both. Um, I started off back in the day um, with Countrywide Mortgage. So that was kind of the the fall of the the empire back then. Um, But I've also worked for um, other brokerages um, as well as numerous banks. Nice, nice. Just to give you a little bit background, I am interviewing you, which is the banker. And then I also interviewed my friend, Danny uh, Linder, as the broker. And so- I'll bite my tongue, no worries. (laughs) I know. Well, (laughs) it's uh, interesting because I typically make sure people go towards a broker. I like that they answer at 10. They are have their hands on it. But the reason why I invited you on here is because I believe in you and I believe in Thank you. the bank that you work for. And I think that I have never seen a bank do what your bank has done. And we closed one in 21 days, which is unheard of. Right. And so uh, what is the difference between a banker and a broker for a lender? So really, I think it comes down to the loan officer themselves. Okay. Um, how proactive we are in the business um, you know, there's good, there's good loan officers, there's bad loan officers, right. but when it comes down to the bank itself versus an outside or correspondent lender, um, we're using our own money as the bank. So we're funding our loans. We're servicing our loans. That loan's never being sold off to another company, like, like a correspondent lender would be, or like a broker would be. The broker has the advantage of being able to shop that loan with five or six different wholesale lenders. Whereas I've got my products at the bank. Um, we of course cover any type of loan that may be out there. Um, but we're, the real difference is we're using our own money. We don't have the margins that a broker might have. Mm. So we're able to lend cheaper and the rate may be cheaper because of that, mm. uh, because we don't have those margins in place. Got it. So that's kind of the main difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you feel about people selling their home on their own or trying to? I think it's a great idea. Um, I think you save a lot of money in terms of realtor commissions um, because, you know, as the seller, you're paying for both the buyer's agent and your, your listing agent. So right. it can get very expensive up to, you know, up to 6%, um, sometimes even more if you're offering seller concessions or mm-hmm. different aspects of, of the real estate transactions. So very true. I like the idea, but you've got to be knowledgeable about it. You've got to have the right team in place that mm-hmm. guide you through the process to make sure that you're doing things legally, you're doing things the right way. 
um, and that everything's above board. One of the things I want to teach people is that you can build wealth through real estate and how you can do that. So when a seller is selling their home and they're looking at contracts, let's go over the very basics. So let's say they get a pre-approval. What's the difference between a pre-approval and a pre-qualification and what should you look out for? So that's a kind of a tricky question okay. because a lot of times banks or correspondent lenders will issue a pre-qual letter or pre-qualification -pre letter mm -hmm. versus a pre-approval letter. And it's really what it, what the paper's written on. So if it says pre-approval or if it says pre-qualification, for the most part, many times it's the same thing. However, a, in definition, a pre-qualification pre letter is going to be something like, we've, re we've reviewed your, your application, you haven't provided us any documentation. We haven't done any real due diligence. We just feel though, based on your credit score, you're qualified for X, right? Whereas a pre-approval is you've sent me your tax returns, your documents, your W-2s, your pay stubs, your bank statements, and I can get a really clear picture of your financial situation along with your credit scores in order to really make a clear underwriting decision to what your debt to income ratios are um, and feel more confident that this person is in fact really approved or pre-approved for this loan. One of the things that I do as soon as I get a letter, I immediately call the lender and I'm like, tell me about your client. What are some really good questions that you've heard and what should they ask? Some really good questions I've been asked is, you know, is your client um, W-2 or 1099 or self-employed? Okay. Because that makes a huge difference in terms of their tax returns, in terms of their debt to income ratios. Um, other good questions is, you know, do they have strong credit? Have there been any previous bankruptcies or foreclosures in their past? Um, you know, are you confident in the fact that they can, in fact, pay their mortgage on a, on a monthly basis, that they are, in fact, qualified or approved and have your underwriters reviewed this file prior to you issuing the pre-approval letter. So those are some of the good questions that I get asked from realtors when they're talking about accepting an offer from their clients. One of the things that I do is ask the lender is, hey, did you do a desktop underwriting? Is that customary? Um, it is because when I'm doing a pre-approval process or a pre-qualification process, when I have all the information inputted into my system, what I'm doing is doing my due diligence, calculating that, that individual's debt to income ratios, looking at their credit scores, looking for any bankruptcies, foreclosures, delinquencies, collections, really scrubbing their financial records, right? Then what I'm also doing is when I get done with everything, inputting everything, I run what's either called desktop underwriter, which is an automated underwriting system or loan prospector or AUS, mm -hmm. um, which is another under automated underwriting system. Typically for FHA, um, we'll run what we'll run desktop underwriter or DU. If it's a conventional product, we typically will run loan prospector or AUS. Okay. Um, they're one in the same. We run typically run both. Um, but it's an automated system that kind of scrubs everything and gives you a determination of whether or not they're qualified based on the information that you've put into the system. So those are really important for your government loans, like a USDA loan or even a VA loan. Those are going to be run through GUS, which is a government underwriting system. Got so it. that's really the, the difference.
how long would you say the when a seller accepts a contract from close from the time that it starts to the time it closes typically i know you're normally faster than normal yeah. people but typically how long does it take to close in a normal environment i want to say you want to do you want to write the contract for 30 to 45 days 45 days kind of gives that little bit of cushion in case something comes back weird with the inspection in case the appraisal is taking a little bit longer in a market where it's a really busy market, the appraisers get really busy. So having that little bit of extra time is good. If something weird comes up with the underwriters and they're asking for something tax related or something from a CPA that might take a couple of weeks to get, it's always good to have that cushion. So I typically say, well, you know, say 30 to 45 days, mm. even though we can get it done faster than 30, that's a good time frame. Got it. Got it. And when a seller accepts a contract, let's kind of go over what we should look for on the contract. So um, cash is always king. You're right. not going to have an appraisal. There's no loan contingencies. So obviously, if you're laying out in multiple offers, you're going to accept a cash contract first. Right. As In your professional opinion, what would be the next strongest contract? Conventional. Um, would okay. be, you know, the conventional 30 year fixed or even an arm, a, an adjustable rate product. Okay. Um, but being a conventional product would be the strongest. Uh, typically a conventional buyer has a higher credit score, okay. um, a lower debt to income ratio, no real blemishes on their credit report. Um, and overall it's a good loan. Um, from there, I would say a government loan, like a VA loan, our veterans, they sacrificed for our country. They deserve a great loan. They get great loans. They get great pricing from the VA. Um, those loans typically close very quickly. Um, there's some mis, you know, some connotations out there that they're not great loans. They're great loans, right? And explain why because of that second appraisal. Yeah, I mean, for the, for, I mean, and also for the for the it, the advantage for the buyer and, and for the veteran is it's 100% financing, and if they're disabled, they can get. Um, their funding fee waived. There's a lot of different things that happen for them. That's a really great loan. And the government's really strict on their guidelines. So there is some more hoops you have to jump through when it comes through inspections. You have to get a WDO report or wood destroying organism mm -hmm. report. If it's a septic or a well, you have to get a well inspection. You might have to get um, a septic inspection. So there's a lot, it's a little bit more rigorous um, but it's more in depth. So I do really like the VA loans for that regard um, and that aspect of things. So I really like those. And then I would say third um, is we've got our FHA loans. Mm -hmm. So Federal Housing Authority um, or Federal Housing Administration, they're good loans. Nothing's wrong with them. They're for first time home buyers typically. Somebody with maybe doesn't have the strongest credit or has some blemishes on their credit report. Okay. maybe has some collections that we can overlook, different things like that. Um, they too have stronger, you know, or more rigorous inspections. Um, there's some other thing, more hoops you have to jump through as well with those. Um, but again, it's the government making sure that they're insuring the right property and guaranteeing the right property. Right, right. And I've had people before where I've accepted a conventional and then the lender will call me and say, hey, listen, do you mind if we switch to an FHA loan? Because my client, it's saving them thousands and thousands of dollars. And right. at that point, I have to put my trust in the lender that he knows what he's doing and that it is, you know, it's not an older property. Everything works on the property, you know, 
and there's running water, everything. So right, so that can be a hindrance, you know, when when selling your property. If if the property is not in perfect condition, mm. or there's little things that need to be fixed, the appraiser is going to catch that, and right. they're going to make note of that, and they're going to usually do what what's called a cost to cure, and it's going to say, okay, these things need to be done before you close or, and we need to do a reinspection mm. and they need to come back out to the property and they need to reinspect the property to make sure those items have been corrected. Right. And it's just uh, another step in the process, but if, as long as it closes on the home, then everything should be fine. Right. And there's no reason why an FHA loan can't close within 30 days as well, just like a conventional loan. Um, and for somebody who has less money for a down payment, those are great options. What financial contingencies should a seller be aware of when they're accepting a contract, like the the loan commitment, you know? Right. Right. And do you, so the way it works in Florida is we have three days to put money in escrow. That money then is up for grabs. If the lender does not keep us in their communication and it goes past their loan commitment days and the contract it's built in for 30 days. Right. So, so, so typically what I see in most contracts that I'm dealing with is the buyers have, you know, anywhere from seven to 10 days for their inspection period okay. per the contract. Um, they get the inspection done within that time frame, And usually within 20 to 30 days um, is loan commitment. Right. So that requires the lender, the loan officer to give commitment to the buyer and as well as to the realtors and explaining this to the realtors and communicating this to not only the buyer's agent, but also the listing agent to say, my buyer now has loan commitment. We have an approval letter. Um, there's still some outstanding conditions that we need to clear prior to getting a clear to close. But this is what, this is where we're at at this point. If we decline the loan, obviously then we're dealing with escrow issues right. and, you know, typically when a lender will decline the loan, the escrow goes back to the buyer. So I had a, uh, a transaction where the lender did not keep me updated. And then I found out that it was a second investment in property that someone was buying from New York and they didn't disclose that either. I didn't ask if it was a primary or not. Um, but they, we, I was ended up able to take their escrow money because they did not keep me informed. That was like the biggest thing why they ended up giving my seller the escrow money. Right. Is it your job or is it the buyer's agent job to keep me informed as a seller's agent? I think it's both. Um, I think that a good lender will keep all parties involved Agreed. and the communication is good. You know, the one thing when I'm talking to realtors is, you know, what are the two things you're looking for from a lender? And the two things are always looking for hands down is good communication and close on time. Those are the two big things right. that everybody wants is to get good communicate as they have good communication and whatever that communication may be, whether that's, you know, you want to communicate through text, you want to communicate through email, you want to communicate through phone call, you want to communicate face to face. How do you want to communicate? And that's one of the things that I talk with all of my clients, whether it's a buyer or whether it's a realtor and whether it's a listing agent or a buyer's agent, mm -hmm. how do you want to communicate this transaction? How do you want to how do you want me to reach out to you? Do you want a text message every day? Do you want me to call you every three days? What's the method? I want you to close the loan. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> close the loan. I don't care. I care yeah. Just get the loan closed and keep me updated on right. where, where we are in the yes, process. Right. That's exactly it. I know. I love the computer generated uh, systems that you can actually 
just throw it in there and then it will let everyone know involved in what's going on. Right. And you know, at fifth third, we have a process very similar to that, where we have an automated process now where every milestone and every time somebody touches the file, whether it's a processor, an underwriter, a closer, everybody gets emailed a status update. So the listing agent is up, is up to date through an automated message. The buyer's agent is updated. The clients are updated everybody, but typically the seller. Um, if they're representing themselves and they're selling for sale by owner, they're going to get updated Mm. throughout the process as well, rather than a listing agent would be. So, um, not only are we doing that, but also I take it upon myself to still do that extra step and go that extra mile and do that further communication and say, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is where we are in the process. I know you got the automated email, but, but here's where we are in the process as well. Or the automated email may not be great. So we want to follow that up with saying, okay, you got the automated email, but this is what else we need, or this is what else we're missing, something like that. Great, great. Um, I have a question that actually happened to me. It's a special program. It's that down payment assistance, but I accepted a loan Mm -hmm. with a seller and they had down payment assistance. They did not disclose it to me. We had a 30 day close. If I would have known that being in the industry for so long, I know they take longer than normal. Right. Uh, but it really, really, that's why I feel like you always have to have your ducks in a row because you're messing with people's lives. Right. And do you actually legally have to disclose to the other side that this is happening? Good question. We don't. Um, so it's courtesy too. Right. And I usually will tell my listing agents, Hey, we're doing down payment assistance. Um, we're using a grant or we're wherever we're getting the money from Florida bond program. There's over 5,000 programs nationwide for grants and special programs for down payment assistance. So there's a lot of options out there for buyers, especially first time home buyers um, or low income individuals, uh, moderate income individuals. There's a lot of different programs out there. Um, However, it's not our responsibility to disclose financial information Mm -hmm. to the listing agent. We really don't even do it so much for the buyer's agent other than be very vague in in certain terms. However, I'll go as far as I can to let them know, hey, we're using down payment assistance. Mm -hmm. Typically, when you're using a program like that, whether it's a state program, county program, city program, um, national program, you're going to want to take extra time because multiple agencies need to look at this. Mm -hmm. So my underwriter needs to approve the file and underwrite the file. Once my underwriter approves the file, then the file goes to the down payment assistance or to the grant company or to the third party mm-hmm. that's going to verify all the same information again, but they need time to do that. So I typically say on a down payment assistance program, if it's known, write the contract for 30, 35 to 60 days. That's kind of where you want to be. It's going to take typically more than 30 days. I know that. And <laughs> so I was very upset because I, congratulations, you got the down payment assistance. I just need you to tell me because at this point you're messing with my seller and thinking, Hey, they're going to move out in the 30th. Then they get everything ready. You know, right. that's why you said it's a courtesy thing and it was a big blow up. So now I just right. downright ask. Yeah. I mean, checks need to be cut. The typically the home, the, the buyers need to go to a home buying seminar. They need to get a certificate. Mm-hmm to qualify for this, which is an eight hour class. They can sometimes do them online. They can sometimes have to go in person. So if they have to go in person, then the the classes are offered once a month. So if you're in the middle of the month, you've got to wait till the beginning of the next month 
just to get your certificate. Mm. So there's a lot of ins and outs. So that's why 45 to 60 days is a little bit more customary. One of the things that I'd like to talk about is the post occupying uh, property mm -hmm. and why you it's kind of frowned upon and why you can't do it. And if you can do it, um, but what are the rules? So typically, according to agency guidelines, whether it's Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac or FHA, um, a buyer has 90 days to occupy the, pro the property as their primary residence. If it's going to be their primary residence, they have 90 days to occupy that property. So if they're purchasing a property from a seller who has that property rented out, that person, that tenant needs to be moving out within the first 90 days. Um, if it goes longer than that, and I don't care how you write it up, the contract, whatever the case is, mm. if you're not moving in that property within 90 days, it's now an investment property. Mm. So you need to categorize it as that. Um, the bank will catch it typically. And if they see something in a sales contract that mentions a current tenant, they're going to know and they're going to want to know when that person's moving out, have they been notified, what their move out date is and what the new buyer's move in date is going to be. So it's a very, very tricky thing. And I've had a couple of deals blow up because of that. Mm, good knowledge. Uh, another thing on the contract is furniture. A lot of people come and say, you know what? I want to buy the house, include all the furniture. Right. And I'm like, well, no, no, that's not how that works. And so it's, a, it, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And a lot of times, especially in areas, high tourist areas like Florida, where a lot of these condos that are being rented out to, to rent, you know, as, as investments come fully furnished. Um, and then the realtors or the sellers will list all the furniture they have in the, in the condo or in the house. That's not a problem. However, where it comes into a problem as a lender and from an underwriting standpoint is we need to make sure that that furniture or that golf cart or that whatever it may be, that fancy outdoor kitchen with a grill that's staying isn't going to affect the value or the sale of that property. So the appraiser goes out to the property. When they appraise the property, they want to make sure that the furniture or the furnishings are not included in the value of the actual house. Right. So, and if it is listed in the sales contract, then the, our underwriters are going to want an appraisal done on all the furniture, on all the artwork, on anything else that's there. They're going to want a value added to that. And then they make sure that it's not affecting the actual sales price or it's not contingent on the sales price of those items. So if those items were there or not mm -hmm. there, that's what the way it's going to be. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. I actually saw a cash deal happen and I don't know if the realtor just didn't realize what was going on, but the home, it was in the regular subdivision was around three to 400,000. And then they sold the home for like 700,000. And I was like, that's a crazy comp. And then when I called, she was like, oh, it's because it came with everything, everything. in the home. Right. And it kind of messes up that flow of, hey, how can I do comps and what do I have to do? Right. And, you know, and, and other than the standard things that are written in a contract, refrigerator, stove, microwave, um, washer, dryer, whatever that's included, that doesn't need a value added to it because those things typically stay in the house regardless, um, unless other, otherwise specified. Um, but like. I've had some really weird situations where somebody had a really fancy grill that they couldn't move. So they added the grill to the list of things that were staying. 
underwriter catches that they want to, now they want to value to the grill and to make sure that that is not affecting the actual value of the house right. or the sales price of the house. Right. So be careful when it comes to that. Right. And if you want to do a separate rider, fine. Don't give it to your lender. Or yeah, <laughs> Leave it yeah, out. Leave right. it out. <laughs> That's the last addendum. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Tell me a time that a buyer didn't get approved because they did something crazy. So really good example comes to mind. Um, a few years ago, I had a client who was buying a new house. Um, their debt to income ratios were pretty tight to begin with. So we didn't have a whole lot of wiggle room. And the first thing I tell all of my buyers is do not buy anything. Do not open mm -hmm. up any new credit during the home buying process. We always will run a supplementary credit report um, towards the end that will just to verify that they haven't opened up any new credit throughout the application process or throughout the loan process. So my client, Bob, um, we'll call him Bob. He, we ran a supplementary credit report and something pulls up on his credit report. It says GM financial, but it wasn't showing the amount or anything like that yet. Cause it was so new. Mm. So I called him up and I said, Hey Bob, what's going on? Um, I, we saw, we ran a supplemental credit report right before closing 10 days before closing. We saw something new hit your credit report. Tell me the story. And he says, well, you know, I was driving down the road, driving past the Chevy dealership and I saw this brand new Corvette and he goes, I just had to have oh, no. it. And I said, okay. And he's like, I had to finance it, this, that, and the other. And I was like, oh no, here, it's a kiss oh, of death no, whenever this yeah. happens. So his payment, he gave me what his monthly payment was. I calculated, we had to recalculate everything. His calculated payment came out just under guidelines for his debt to income ratios. Oh. So he just skated in. However, he then discloses to me, well, you're not going to like this. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh no, what now? What else did you buy? He goes, well, I got my car home, I bought a brand new Corvette. And he said, my wife loved it so much. I had to go out and buy her a matching one. Oh, no. And I said, so now you have two Corvettes with two payments. <sighs> so I said, Bob, unfortunately at this oh. point, you don't qualify based on your debt to income ratios. This took your debt to income ratio from 45% to over 60%. Mm. And I said, you just, you don't simply qualify. I go, do you love the car? He goes, oh man, I love it. I go, good. Cause you're gonna be living in it. Mm. We had to, we had to decline the loan based on that. And a lot of them do not buy any no, credit, right? Do not open up any new credit no, to buyers. <laughs> and a lot of the misconception being a seller's agent is, well, I get to take their money. Right. And they don't understand that when you're declined from a loan, right. That escrow money gets right back, goes to, right back, back to, to, the the buyer. to the buyer. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the few cases where that late in the game, an escrow deposit can go back. And, you know, you can fight it all day long, but, but you're yeah, going to get attorneys involved or whatever the case may be. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you yeah. can do. If the lender declines the loan, you have to give your escrow money back. Right. Yeah. And in my program, I go over exactly a contract and how you can fall out of contract, the ways that you're protected and stuff like that. Right. So. Right. So, you know, talking about escrow deposits, right. and I'll, I'll give you a really good example is um, a few years ago, I had a client of mine who had a pretty sizable escrow deposit in place. And what ended up happening was right before closing, literally three days before closing, they went and did a final walkthrough and an inspection. And they found some things that were minor cosmetic issues to deal with. They brought it up to the sellers. The sellers agreed to remedy the situation, 
take some money off the sales price. Um, the buyers still didn't feel comfortable with that. And no fault to the lender, me as the lender, we didn't, we were fully approved. We were ready to go. We had a clear to close. We had documents drawn up and they backed out of the deal mm. because of these inspection issues or these final walkthrough issues. In that case, the seller has the legal right to keep the escrow deposit. Right. Now you can negotiate that back and forth and maybe you give back some of it. Maybe you keep some of it whatever the case may be. But legally at that point, you have the right yeah, to keep it. you have it. the approval, the commitment. We have the approval. Yeah. We have the commitment. So, you know, buyer yes. beware. Right. Don't back out of a contract just because you don't like something cosmetically with the right. house. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast and program is to help people build wealth for themselves. And right. working with realtors has been kind of a nightmare, as you know, yourself. You sure. Know, they are, there are good ones and there are bad ones out right. there. Uh, we actually experienced a certain situation where this lady was a nightmare. Yes. You know, yes. If you want to touch on that, that was, I, sure. I ended up having to hang up on her. She wasn't listening to me. She tried to send an email out to everyone, you know, you know, it, it, there, there comes a level of professionalism, right? right. And some people are really good communicators. Some people are really bad communicators. Some people are really super organized and others are not organized. Um, and I think you need to have all those things as a realtor to be successful in this business. I mean, you know, the average realtor closes what two to three homes a year. Um, and they do it sometimes as a hobby. You right. do not want a realtor where this, their job is a hobby. No, I you don't. want somebody who's doing this full time. Um, and that's why I like, you know, sellers selling their homes themselves, but educate yourself in terms of real estate, have a good team behind you, pay somebody a consulting fee possibly to guide you through the process, to ask the right questions, to look for the right things because, you know, they are licensed professionals. Right. And there are professionals and there are not professionals out there. It's hard to tell the difference because sometimes they, they talk a really good game. Yes, I know. Yeah. And then I talk to people and they're like, uh, oh, I hired my friend's daughter who just got their real estate license last week. And it's like, right. oh, I hope she has a good broker because right. she's going to need it. Well, you know, even from a lender's perspective, I'm very picky on the realtors that I work with. Mm. And I have an initial kind of interview process where we'll grab coffee or we'll grab lunch and I'll ask them a series of questions. One of them being is how long you've been in the business. Hmm. Are you brand new licensed and you've never sold a house before? Do you know how to write a contract? Hmm. A lot of these younger realtors who are brand new licensed have never written a contract before and they don't know how to write a contract and their brokers don't help them. Right. So it's, you've really got to get somebody who's experienced, who knows what they're doing. Um, as a lender of 20 years, I feel comfortable. The last house we sold um, I sold as for sale by owner. Oh, good for you. So it was a really smooth process, but I also consulted a couple of friends of mine that are realty partners of mine mm -hmm. to help me drop the contract okay. because I'm still, even though I see contracts all day long, right. I still wasn't familiar with what legally needs to go into those contracts, those types of things. So having that guidance really oh, helped. I love that. And one great. of the things that I did and I set up for uh, my network is I work with an attorney here in Florida right. and she works with attorneys throughout the United States. Right. And one of the things that they will do is look over your contract. 
Right. And so you're completely protected then. And she's built it in. Someone's going to have to pay for the title, docs, everything else. Right. So she's built it in to where, hey, I'm not only going to look over your contract, but I'm also going to do your closing documents as well. So it's one fee and one. Yeah. And so she's the attorney and a title company, which yes. is great. And you don't have to pay the realtor to do this because she can do it for you. She's fully licensed. Right. Exactly. And that's the that was one of the points I was going to make is... When you're selling a house, you know, by yourself and, and you're doing a for sale by owner, you want to partner with a really good title company, yeah. typically who is an attorney who has that background, who can look over that contract for you and help guide you through that process a little bit further as well. Cause you got to get title work done regardless. So, yeah, you know, Just you're, you're never going to get around the title work. <laughs> so there's always going to be fees involved when it comes to that. But if you can save yourself 6% commissions, and just work with a title company, okay. it's great. You're gonna, you're gonna, and you're gonna build a lot more wealth that way, right. and and save a lot more money that way. Right. And so I know that a lot of the realtors are not gonna like me because I'm putting out this information. But for me, teaching people how to build wealth and just changing their life alone is what I'm looking for. Right. Right. Yeah. And if you can, if you can guide people on how to get their house listed on the MLS and all the different avenues, you know, for a consult, you know, as a consultant, mm -hmm. that's great. Cause then now, then now people have a reference to go to, um, you know, I think a lot of people are just intimidated by the process. Right. And well, I can say, I know I can sell my house myself, but history tells us, you oh, you need to have a realtor to do this for you. You don't necessarily need to. Well, the tech it makes companies the are smoother. coming for us. They are. I know. Absolutely. And so I've decided to go ahead and take this next step of, Hey, I'm going to help out the homeowner and that way I beat the tech companies to them. Right. You know, to go ahead and teach them, give them my knowledge of what I've done. I've been doing this for so long. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. So, all right. Well, thank you for coming. Do you have anything that you'd like to tell the viewers before we leave? No, you, like I said, surround yourself with a really good team of people. Um, have a preferred lender. Another thing that I would suggest is as a seller, if somebody comes to you with a pre-approval letter from a bank, maybe you don't recognize or a lender you don't recognize, always have your lender in your back pocket, somebody that you trust that you work with to suggest, hey, I know you have a pre-approval letter, but maybe contact my lender as well to get a second opinion. They may have a better rate for you than this lender's offering you. Do your due diligence and, and offer that assistance to the buyer and you'll get more contracts that way too. I'd actually like to say something about that because thank goodness that I have my lenders in place because I received on my $2 million property a pre-approval letter. I looked at it and I thought, you know what? This looks generated. Right. There's no uh, license number on there or anything. And then I sent it to my lender and he's like, and we looked it up online. And it was a company out of New York that's saying, hey, it was, you know, almost like hard money. Right. But it ended up being a scam. Well, you know, and the other thing, too, is there's a lot of tech companies, mm -hmm. lenders that are out there using technology and saying, oh, apply for your mortgage through an app. And you never speak to an actual human. Where's mm -hmm. the personalization? Where's the touch to that? And, you know, great. I can get a pre-approval letter on an app. Right. But as a seller, are you really going to want to accept that? Right. To touch on that, I have, I won't say the company name, but I, as soon as I see it, I immediately call that. And it could be the top contract. 
Right. So I will call the actual selling agent or I'm sorry, buying agent and say, Hey, listen, I like your contract, but I know your mortgage company and right. you can go all the way through all the way to the end. And all of a sudden they go, sorry, you don't qualify. And right. then now I have up, you know, my sellers are moving on to the next house. Maybe they bought another house contingent upon their home selling right. and it's just kind of bad business. So what I do is I actually say, Hey, listen, my lender's David. You can yep. go to David. He'll approve you or you need to have your you know, personal mortgage. That's what I'm going to advise my sellers. So yep. please, you need. It's very interesting because you would think realtors would look at the pre-approval and say, and know that already right. and change it. Because I, right. as soon as uh, someone brings me a bad approval, I immediately say, nope, you got to go to my lenders because I don't want that stress in my life. Yeah. And, you know, when I get those clients and they say, oh, I'm already pre-approved with XYZ Mortgage Company. Great. Send me the loan estimate. I, let me review the loan estimate. Even if I can't beat their rate or I can't beat their deal, at least you have a second, you know, a second opinion looking it over, an expert looking it over to say you're getting a great deal. And I said, I have no problem walking away from the deal. However, I get these loan estimates a lot of times and I see they're offering the same rate I am, Jeez. but they're charging I knew you were going two there. points. Right. And I mean, I had one deal, it was an $800,000 loan and just in points was $43,000. It was insane. And it I was. said, I said, I said to the buyer, do you realize they're charging you $43,000 in points on this loan? No, I had no idea. I thought the closing costs were a little high, but no, let me tell you, I'm going to save you $50,000 right now on your closing costs. And I'm going to give you the same rate. I had the same situation. These online lenders yes. are famous for building in points to their loans. So be very Google careful. Google the company and right. we Googled the company and literally it said outrageous fees. Right. And Just because they spend a lot of money on marketing right. and advertising yeah. Does doesn't make their good. Agreed. Correct. Agreed. Yep. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming. Thanks, Liz. Appreciate it. All right. We hope that we inspired you to listen to our podcast. We're going to go over things like communication with buyers, what contracts are out there that you can actually accept, how to hit the market correctly with getting you the best exposure with the most money, and most importantly, how to save commission without using an agent. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.